is right. We are in the last message of this series. I've titled it The New Creation Worker. It took me a lot of time to come up with that title. Pastor Ben's been speaking every week about the new creation, and it's a worker application, so I figured let's just keep it simple. But I'm excited to be here. First of all, it's always an honor. It's humbling to, to be here not only with you, but to study through God's Word. And I have to say, this is, this is kind of nice. I feel like I'm riding my dirt bike. It's sturdy. So I'm excited to be here, but, you know, I thought it was, when Pastor Ben asked me to do this message, I said, man, I said, I got to talk about, like, masters, and then my master at work here has got to be sitting here listening to me. I said, that's not intimidating at all, right? Because he gets to let me know Monday if, in fact, my message lines up with my daily work activities. Uh, Of course, I could also let him know as a servant if his masterly ones lined up with mine as well, so it does go back and forth. Uh, but I'm excited to, to close out this series here. It's been an amazing session of series of out with the old, in with the new, but we've got some work to do so I can get you guys out of here. Back to the basics. Last week, Pastor Ben talked about our home. And, uh, you know, so many times I've read this section of text and kind of like really just segregated it, rules for the Christian household and then work. You know, I don't believe that that was Paul's intention at all. I believe it's specifically connected to having our homes in order, having Christ ultimately at the center. But what I see here, in addition to that, is one of the greatest opportunities for us to evangelize as believers is in, is in the workplace. So we're going to go ahead and get started. And what I would like to do is start off by reading God's words. If you could, as we have done every week, please stand. We're going to cover Colossians 3, 23, 22 through 4-1. And it says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back. For the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. God, we thank you for your word. God, your word is always good. God, your word is the way in which, Father, we are sanctified, the way in which we become more like Christ. And God, I pray, Father, as we go through this text, and that you would do just that and that you would make us more like you, and that your word would change lives as only it can. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, so to give us a little bit of context here, uh, in the book of Colossians and to Colossae, there's also a book that was connected that, for us down here in Louisiana, we call it Philemon. I think in that day they probably said something more like Philemon, you know, but I've always said it kind of like Philemon. I think it sounds cooler. But he was back at the church there, and he, had a, and he had a slave that worked for him that ran away, and his name was Onesimus. And he had escaped to Rome and actually came into connection with Paul there. So in the same time that Paul's penning his letter to the Colossian church, he also pens this very specific letter to Philemon about this runaway slave that he has there. And he gives the context of how that relationship was to take place. He, of course, encourages Onesimus that he's in error, that he's left his, his master. But then he also encourages Philemon to take him back and to, and, to, and to love him and to see that he repented because we believe that ultimately this, this man came to faith in Christ in his time with Paul. 
So this is all happening at the same time. So he gets sent back to Colossae with Tychicus, and he was there to protect him for, for uh, there were slave catchers that would potentially get him along the way. So he sends them back with these letters. And this is just in the context of everything that's happened there. But I want to be clear about one thing. And this is probably the single part of this message that I spent the most time thinking about. Because when we begin to talk about the idea of bond servants and masters, there's a clear implication for us there of slavery in some case. We, we, it's an automatic thing that we go to when we hear the word servant, we hear bond servant, when we hear master. And we're to make something very clear. Nowhere in Scripture is the slavery that we know of, of, of kidnapping, race-based, sex trafficking, any of those things that happen in, in against someone who has never been okay with God. Back in Exodus, it's called ungodly and sinful. So that's not what we're talking about here today. What we're talking about here today is the purity of the relationship between a master and a servant. And of course, for us, the context is going to be an employer and employee because our society has changed a bit. So just make sure, do not misunderstand what I didn't say. There is slavery that is ungodly and sinful, and it has no place. And then there is the purity of the relationship that we interact one with another as believers, and in some cases, potentially a non-believer. In that day, it was part of their code that that was the way by which society advanced. They were the workers in the home. It was, it was very pure in many situations. And the, the Bible's not trying to get to the place. Of course, it, it, it never wants these kind of slavery that in, just is, is overbearing and brings harm to people. But what it's talking about here is a relationship that we work one with another. The purity of what goes on there. And of course, naturally, it's going to bring us this topic of work, right? If you have a slave and a master, an employer and employee, it's going to be a connection to some sort of work. So I ask you, why is work in of itself a good design? Why is work good? What is the point of it? I see three things. There's many things, but firstly, God created it, first and foremost. Secondly, through it, we're able to represent the image of God and serve him and serve those around us. And thirdly, it's an opportunity for us to steward and to bring provision to ourselves and to our families. We go all the way back to Genesis 131, and it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And that it was very good includes work. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Fast forward a little bit to Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. There's no real hard thing to figure out there. That word work there means to labor. It was very specific. We see it over 299 times in the Old Testament. It, it's clear that work is work. But there's a problem. We get to, verse, we get to chapter 3 after the fall. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all his days of his life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Right, so work was not created to be anything bad. Man's sin tainted it, so now you get to sweat, right? 
Praise the Lord, right? He also knew that we'd have to sweat, and that helps us with some other physiological areas. But sweating's good. I thought about that yesterday morning. Me and my dad and my boys were transitioning my pig to the freezer. And it was, it was hot. You know, I was trying to figure out how to get in the shade and, do, and so forth. And I thought, man, I'm so thankful we don't have to do this every day. Like, that is, that is hard work. But it's fun. It's good. It's more expensive than going by to the store. But I thought about animals, right? I mean, that's what they do every day. They're out for provision. They work. They wake up to figure out how to eat. And then they go to bed thinking, they probably don't think anything. They go to bed and then they wake up, they think about staying alive, mostly. I mean, my, our cat that we have at our house is a perfect picture of survival. Um, because our kids are responsible for feeding it. Um, and if you have kids that are responsible for feeding animals, you know what I'm talking about. But what's great is this cat catches all kinds of things. It brings back rats. It brings back birds and mice. So kind of as a part of me that's like, you know, don't feed it too much because it is doing some other things. But work feeds us. But here's the thing. We're not animals, ultimately. And there is a way in which we must conduct ourselves in the way in which we work in the way in which we labor because as believers, we're in Christ. Therefore, there's a different requirement for us other than to just survive, right? There's a way in which we move in this. And when we look at this text here, Paul gives us three really good imperatives, I believe, of how to work out this relationship, how to move in that, which brings us to our first point, that our obedience is not optional. Our obedience is not optional. Verse 22 says, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Our obedience is not optional. When we look at that word obey there in the Greek, it actually means that one who hears a knock at the door and goes to see who it is in order to respond. It means to, it, it elicits a response. It would have been what they would have called a porter in that day that actually stood at the door and their job was to answer who was coming in, of course, not let in someone that wasn't supposed to, help them with their bags, help them with whatever they needed, uh, similar like what we would see at a hotel, maybe like a, a bellhop. But the idea of obedience is, is that we're attentive and we're ready and we're waiting for instruction so that we can ultimately respond. It's not to just listen to the knock on the door and continue whatever was going on. It's to hear and it's to respond. Obedience requires response. And it says obey in everything. Obeys in everything. So like you look that word up and everything means everything, right? Now, Everything is anything that doesn't go against God's commands. Let's be clear, right? There, is, there are lines that can be crossed. So everything is anything that does not go against God's commands for us in our lives. We see the same thing back in the last session from last week with parents. Children, obey your parents in what? In the Lord and everything. Don't forget everything. And none of your parents do anything wrong, so that just means you've got to listen to them all the time. In everything. So, what does that relationship look like for us as believers? Obedience. Well, remember, Paul here, first of all, is using the context of 
teaching spiritual instruction through the relationship of a slave and a master. And the reason why he makes a big point of that is because the believer, us as the believer, are slaves to Christ first. You know, don't forget the fact that you are, as a believer, you are a slave to Christ. We see Paul introduces himself like that in Romans chapter 1, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why, that's why this means something to us, and that our earthly master is a way by which we can bring glory to our heavenly master. That's where we stand as a New Testament believer. That word there for bondservant is doulos. You've heard Pastor Ben mention it many times. It's over 130 times in the New Testament. Right? It has great implication for us as believers. It's where we align our hearts. And that word masters, it's the same one that we see used for earthly master in this text as we do for our heavenly Lord. And that doesn't deduce the value of our Lord What it does is it brings impact to the importance of earthly masters and the role in which they have and how we respond. But why do we struggle with obedience? Why do we push back against it? Why do we struggle with authority ultimately? I thought of a few things. One, you might just not like the task you've been given. Maybe you don't like your boss. Maybe you don't like who you got to work with. Maybe it wasn't your idea, so you don't want to do it. But ultimately, it's connected to some one of your selfish desires for something that you just don't want to do. When we push back against authority in the purity of it, it's because, it's because we have something wrong with our heart. Next time you think to disobey, I want you to consider what the Lord did. Matthew twenty twenty eight, And even as the Son of Man came... Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom as many. Church, we owe our lives to the gospel. And the gospel being going forth in our lives is in every area of our life is where it goes forth. Philippians 2.7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, doulos, being born in the likeness of men. Church, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about exalting Christ. Servanthood is the key, and we need to be okay with the tension of it in our lives. Just because you submit in certain situations does not necessarily mean you're going to be okay with it. Not necessarily mean you're going to like it. Not necessarily sure it's what you want to do. And we need to be okay with the fact that we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, let us walk that out in our earthly relationships. Many years ago, I had heard from a good friend of mine, his kids were young, and he would tell his kids before he would send them anywhere, be a servant. And we've adopted that in our household, that even to this day, as many times as I can remember, when I send my kids off somewhere, I want them to be a servant. I want them to have that in their heart, that that is what the Lord has for them, for us to serve one another as Christ has ultimately served. Our service must come through our obedience. And Paul gets to the heart here because it's not just about physical conforming of our heart. Although I will tell you, if you don't quite believe it in your heart, you know, it's okay to begin to try and train your body to do so as the Lord is working in your heart. But it's not just about physical conforming. What does it say there in the next section of text? Not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers. 
And one of my children most recently signed up for a certain team at school because he thought it would be cool. And his buddies were doing it and so forth. Well, lo and behold, it didn't quite work out like he had hoped. And he ended up and ended up making this team. And then he realized that he was committed. Right? Even a kid signed up for something and they said they didn't want to do it. It doesn't work like that. But I will tell you, through that process of some painstaking conversations, he learned a valuable lesson. It's not, it wasn't about him. It was about his commitment. And once he committed, it was about his relationship with the authority of that situation. We need to recognize that in our lives. Our desire to please people over the Lord will result in a desire for eye service. It's pretty straightforward. Do you do the right thing regardless of who is watching? What about when no one's watching? Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. That is how the new believer is called to obey. God is always trying to get to the heart of the matter. I mean, that is the emphasis of salvation. God wants your heart God wants your heart because he knows if he gets your heart, the way you act and the way you walk out is going to reciprocate. He's worried about your heart, and it's no different here. Attitude matters. I can't tell you how many times my kids have done multiple chores over and over again until their attitude was right. Just completing the task is not good enough. Completing the task with the sincerity of heart that only comes to you as a believer in Jesus Christ, that's what matters. That's what the world is going to see and is going to be different. And without a a healthy fear of the Lord, how are we going to approach that correctly? If we don't fear what the Lord could potentially do in our lives, if he wouldn't have had the grace on us, how are we going to walk this out? And that's why it says there, fearing the Lord. Sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. If you don't fear the Lord, you're still in charge. Therefore, you're not a slave of Christ. We need to fear the Lord and his sovereignty in our lives. Back to this idea of struggling being with being told to do things. Clearly, it's rooted in selfishness. But I thought about some other things, and I want you to love me through this section. Some of you struggle with authority. And you know, you probably, in some cases, justify it. Some of you are just lazy. I love you. You're just lazy. And some of you got both cases of it. You don't like authority and you're lazy. You need to pray. When our disobedience as believers comes out and people see it, what does that tell other people about your Jesus? Titus 2, 9 through 10 says, Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything, we see that word again, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Adorn. And that's not talking about, that's talking about, that says they, that they, that the other people that see your life may adorn the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, of Jesus Christ. That means I might be a non-believer, but they see something about it. Whether they believe it or not, whether they think it's foolishness, they say, wow, something different there. There's something different there. So I ask you, does your everything adorn the doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ? 
The next point. Our heart for the Lord drives our work. Our heart for the Lord drives our work. Verse 23 through 25 says, Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Work comes out of the willingness of our heart for the Lord as our master. That word Lord is used many times in this text here. And you know why? Because when Jesus is Lord, that means he's over all parts of your life. Some people can say God, but when you say Lord, that says something different. And, and Paul's very specific in, him, in all of his writings. that You'll see he'll say the Lord Jesus Christ, or he'll say Christ Jesus. Because whenever Christ comes before Jesus, that means not only do you acknowledge who he is, but he is Lord of your life. Lordship matters. The work of the cross that was done for us should be our motivation, church. If you're a believer here today and you see what the Lord has done, what he has brought you from, it should motivate us daily in every area of our lives to walk out that. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to. You need to make a decision for him. Today is the day. Don't wait any longer. He desires our hearts. That word heartily there is the idea of just a willingness with all of our heart, wholeheartedly. That's what drives us in our work. Because ultimately, it's an audience of one. It's an audience of one. It says there, as for the Lord and not for men. When we serve, we don't serve for men. We serve men because what the Lord has done ultimately in our life. But that means there's going to be some implications for us when we begin to take this stance and we begin to walk this out. One, it may mean that you're not even noticed on your job. And you're going to have to be okay with that. You know, I think about the people that I've had the chance to work with over my different places in my career. And so many times, the person that you know so little about or the person you don't see very much is sometimes one of the hardest workers. And that should, be, that should be an encouragement to us, for one, that it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be noticed for us to work unto Christ. It means someone else might get picked over you for a certain something. You might have deserved it. And it's not based on what you think you deserve. How many of you think you deserve a lot of things that you don't have? Man, we got a spiritual group here today. How many of you heard, maybe it was out of your mouth, I'll give out more effort when they pay me more? Mm-mm. Maybe you don't deserve more. Maybe you do. You still got to be okay with it. Back in Colossians 3.17, this was first introduced to us when it said, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So not only do you do, but then you thank him. Our reward ultimately comes from the Lord and not from man. And you saw there in the text, there's two, actually, there's two reward options. 
I think about the principle of sowing and reaping. And I made up a word here, the well-doer versus the wrongdoer. The well-doer, it says your reward is heaven, right? That's what, this, that's what this is for for us as a believer. But your reward is also a hope and a peace that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ, no matter what is going on ultimately around you. But it gives some pretty harsh words here for the wrongdoer, and it speaks to being chastened and to being disciplined. And I will tell you, when you make a mistake in the workplace, you just need to own it. You just need to suck it up. Man up. Woman up. You did it. So take your lumps. Be better for it. I have seen more. I've been more impacted in my career from a, from a master versus a slave standpoint when someone owned their mistake. It, it creates a respect one for another. And most importantly, it glorifies Christ. I remember the first time I was in high school, I was working on a charter fishing boat. And if you know anything, if you've been fishing, period, or if you worked on a charter fishing boat, you know that if you wake up and the sun is up, you in trouble. You in big trouble. And I woke up in a panic. The sun was glaring through my window, and I knew I was in bad shape. Of course, I took off, and you know, I don't know why I was in a rush. The boat wasn't there anymore. But I run on down there, and I, I get everything, you know, ready, right? Like I'm going to, like, whatever. I'm just reeling, trying to figure out what to do, and then I'm trying to call on the radio, and I'm just, you know, I'm thinking I'm surely lost my job. And I got a, I got a pretty stern chewing when that boat started coming back down. And from that day on, I always set two alarms every morning that I got to be somewhere important. I was not going to be blamed for having an alarm clock now coming. But I had no other choice but to say, I'm sorry, my mistake. It won't happen again. And it was clear that if it happened again, it surely wasn't going to happen a third time. Our Christianity can never be a justification for our disobedience. It can never be a justification. Unless what? It goes against the Lord's commands. Galatians 6, 7, speaking to the wrongdoer, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Own it when you make the mistake. Be better for it. Paul writing in Philemon there in verse 18, he says, And if he, speaking to Onesimus, has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. He knew he was wrong. He knew he made a mistake. But he was willing to bestow grace upon him. He was willing to bestow that grace and take that punishment. But I see two areas of caution for us here in this idea of how we conduct ourselves. And that's one that we must guard against being lazy. We need to guard against it. And I'm not speaking to someone who is physically unable to do work because the next text we're going to look at in 2 Thessalonians says, is, even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work, will not get to eat. It's pretty straightforward. And the text there says unwilling to work, and that's key. Unwilling, that means you don't even have a desire to do so. Remember, the Lord created work. It's good for us. It's good for us. And we need to eat. It's also a necessary part of life. Cannot be lazy. But the other thing is, 
There's a flip side to that, too. It's not healthy either. And if you're here today, you'll know who I'm talking about. Hopefully, or your wife might tell you. The workaholic. Right? That's a problem as well. If you're always consumed by work, I think back to what we studied last week, and I would say, if you're that dad, how do you keep your home in order if you're not there? How do you lead your wife and your children in righteousness if you're not there? And I realize that's tough. And if you are in that situation today, I deeply care for you and pray that you would make some changes. Your wife and your kids, they need you. They need you. You may need to adjust your lifestyle. You may need to move into a smaller home. There could be some things that you may need to do that drastically. But it's all more important than working too much. I think about a time when I was probably about five or six years into my career. And quite honestly, my goals were just to make as much money by a certain age. That was my goal. I had a, no, a dollar amount that I wanted to make before I got to a certain age. I'm not saying you shouldn't have goals. But I came home one day with a, a new idea on a way to do some extra stuff. And mind you, we had no financial struggles at all. Um, but you begin to just kind of desiring more and thinking more and wanting to do more. And I was sitting down with Rachel. And our kids were probably only a couple years old at the time. And I said, I got this way that we can just make some, I can make some extra money. I could like do it on the weekends. I could do it a little bit after, after work when I get off money. I'm already working like 50 to 60 hours a week, right? And I'm trying to figure out how to do a little bit more. And she, she listens to me in all of her graciousness and loving as she is. And she says, and I, and I don't remember the exact wording, but it was something to the effect of what I just said earlier. She said, and Matt, what about, where, where do me and the kids fit in on this? I was like, I didn't admit it right then, I don't think. The Lord hadn't done a work in my heart yet. But it was true. That would have been probably the biggest mistake I would have made if I would have done that. And all for what? I think the main thing, I think I had a certain something that I wanted to, oh, it was like many of us, I wanted to get my house paid off before a certain age. And she's like, that'd be great, Matt. She said, we'll have our house paid off. And she's like, and you, we will have had no impact in my kids, in our kids. She said, that'd be really nice. Of course, she was being quite sarcastic. <laughs> and Jesus spoke to this specifically in Matthew six nineteen. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. That's not where your treasure is. And I think about the text that Pastor Ben shared last week. He broke it. It was a much bigger section in Psalms 127 too. But this is speaking specifically to that worker. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to late to rest, eating the bread of anxiousness and toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. We've got to think about it. We can't be lazy and we can't be working so much that we can't have the impact that we need to have on our family and those around us. Work at it. The Lord can help you. I think about this analogy many years ago. A real quick story. My family and I went on this horse adventure. And it was, and we were talking about it again yesterday. But real quickly, there was two specific horses that stuck out in my mind. TJ was on this horse that we had dubbed the name Eeyore. And it did not do anything. He got on it and it sat while we did the whole course riding around this place. And TJ sat there on it. 
And we waved at him when we passed him. <laughs> that horse did nothing. My sister gets on this other horse, and we should have known it was a problem when it had a, when it had a, a rope from its bridle to its chest, right? It was wild. So we got to see my sister. You ever been seen the movies where like, the, like something runs across the screen, and you wave? A little bit later, it comes back, and all you hear is my sister screaming. Ah! Ah! Of course, we're just, we're laughing. I mean, like, if you ever have a chance to, 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 to meet with me, but this is a story for a lifetime. That was only two. But I thought about that in this thing. You know, one was just a completely wild, unbroke horse. You know, had all kinds of energy, right? All kinds of power. The other horse didn't do anything. It was lazy. But you know, the truth is, is despite what you may have seen as a, as a so-called good thing in one or not in the other, neither one of those horses did the work of the master. Neither one of them. Neither one of them. Let that not be said of us. Evaluate the motives of your work or your lack of work and the impact that it has on others. Because once again, 1 Timothy 6.1 brings us something similar earlier we saw. It says, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Wow. Our workplace it's a place for evangelism so that the word of God would not be reviled. That we would have the opportunity to speak into people's lives for what Jesus has done for you. Personally, evangelism's changed a little bit for me in my new role. Hopefully, shouldn't have to evangelize much here in the office. Everybody should be saved here. That's what our prayer is. That was a joke in case you're too serious right now. But here's the statistics. Approximately 90% of people that come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ did it through some personal relationship, whether it been through work, family member, so forth. 90%. Only 10% that were done in these researches came from anything, from something outside of that. And I probably think those 10% just forgot. It's probably closer to 100%. So that should tell us something. 90%. Where do you spend the majority of your day if you work? You spend the greatest majority of your day at work and sleeping. Think about it. Those are your two largest chunks of your day. Let's make an impact for the gospel. When our identity is in the master, our work ethic will reflect the master. It will reflect the master. Paul culminates this section here about getting our homes together and and speaking about earthly masters and bond servants taking us to our third point that says godly masters must remember they are slaves first godly masters must remember they are slaves first he switches to chapter here four verse one and it reads masters treat your bond servants justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven earthly masters must treat people the way in which the lord has treated them. And I understand if you're not a believer, there's some certain struggles there. But as a believer, as an employer, as one who has responsibility for employees on a daily basis, treat them justly and fairly, fairly, just as the master did. And you know your treatment of your employees could be direct or it could be indirect. It could be that you're harsh. 
with your voice. It could be harsh in the way in which you speak. But I also want you to consider the indirect ways. How do you have it set up? What's the culture that you have there with your employees? What kind of environment? Is it overbearing? And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about in the part of doing things right. But is it overbearing? Are you provoking your employees to rebel? Are you poking at them and prodding at them? Does the end justify the means in your business model? Are you only worried about the bottom line? As a Christian employer, as a boss, you need to leverage your position for righteousness. You've been given that position by the Lord, so, so use it accordingly. I've sat down in many of, of situations where it was either a disciplinary action or a write-up. And I've always taken the approach of restoration. That it was always an opportunity to get somebody at their lowest moment, potentially, and speak Christ. And speak into that situation. You have far more success in your business and your employees if your emphasis is on how you treat your people in righteousness. And other things are going to take care of themselves because God's uniquely gifted you in those areas. Treat them right. Let them do the work for you that the Lord has done ultimately for you in grace. I think about all the bosses that have had impact in my life over the years since I got out of college. And I was putting together a list, and oddly enough, every one of them comes to Living Word Church. I think back to one of the, the first... Mr. David Chasson, sitting back here. The late Sam Sanderson, that many of you knew. Billy Dishman. Daryl Walls. And now Ben Bufkin. Righteous men. Important to my life. Men, they weren't ashamed of their relationship. Perfect? Of course not. Love the Lord? Absolutely. Church, if we're going to have any impact on the world around us, it's going to come through those relationships. If we're going to show people Christ, it's going to come in that way. We're going to have marriages that glorify God. We're going to have children that are being discipled in Christ-likeness. And as slaves of Christ, we're going to work as unto the Lord. If you want to change the church, the society around you, do those things. Do those things. The Lord is faithful. Church, we've got to get our homes in order. If now is not, a, is not enough for us to see just the reality of the way things could go around us, what is it going to take? Our homes must be in order. Last week we talked about two things. That we would get back to the basics in these relationships. That the Word of God would be central in our lives. That your children would know on a daily basis the importance of this book in your family. That your wife knows that you as a husband, this is a big deal. That your employees know that you are a man or a woman of the book. 
Let us be a people of the book. And with that, Jesus will be the center of it all. Let Jesus be the center of it all. That's how we're going to do it. That's how we're going to represent what Paul's saying here as the bondservant and master as doing work unto the Lord. And let it be said of us here at Living Word Church that that's the Lord we serve. And let it be said of those around you that that guy, that girl, they love the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't necessarily think I like it yet, but I know that something's different, that the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ would be adorned in our lives. God, we love you. God, your word is so good. God, it changes us from the inside out. And like fresh water. And God, I pray, God, as we go forth, God, that we would see, God, that we do owe our lives to the gospel. And God, that the workplace, our relationships with our employees and coworkers, God, would be profound. God, that it would lift you up. And God, for those that are here today, God, that are struggling, and maybe they struggle with being a workaholic, or just not desiring to work. But God, I know one thing is true. God, if you can take a dead man and bring him to life in Christ Jesus, God, you can sure handle our attitude problems. God, let us release that. And God, let us let you do a work only that you can do. God, we love you. And God, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. I love you. See you next week.